Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. Alright, if you would, get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've covered some background on this quite a bit. Um, I, I think that it is way too valuable um, to not cover it. And so I typically give some background to this uh, every time that I preach out of Second Timothy. Um, it's important to understand that Timothy, when he was actually saved and brought under Paul's wings uh, for Paul to, to teach, uh, Timothy was a teenager. Some historians put him as early as 16. Uh, we know that uh, several years, um, nearly 10 years after Timothy had been uh, serving with Paul, Paul still called him a young man. Um, so that would have put him in, the tw- in his 20s, some 10 years after. Nobody knows exactly how old he was. Uh, but, but typically, we have to put this picture in our mind to kind of get an idea of where Timothy was at. Timothy was being called into and groomed for the Apostle Paul's job. So uh, Timothy has seen Paul um, go through hardships financially, go through hardships as far as him living out in the open, he's living out in the weather. Um, he's seen individuals who were trying to, uh, to take the Apostle Paul's life, uh, that he had seen the Apostle Paul imprisoned. Um, he had seen the Apostle Paul tr- mistreated many different ways because of Christianity. And, and the fact is, let's speak like we're humans, we're not Superman. When we face when we face challenges and struggles, I can even say with what we just went through with COVID, um, it creates a very valid fear in an individual. Um, Timothy's fear was created out of all of the persecutions and things that was going on with Christians at the time. And I mean, imagine you watching this person for for ten years of your life, you seeing uh, him doing all the right things, keeping his joy, keeping you know he's happy, he's. Even when he's in prison, it seems like he has some supernatural power that just continues to give him this joy and peace. But even though you've seen this, imagine being someone who you've watched go through these hardships time and time again, knowing that you were being groomed to take his job when he was gone. So, I mean, there are a lot of people who you would consider to be mature Christians who would have difficulty stepping into a position where you knew that you were going to be treated horribly by the world. And let's be clear. Jesus promised us um, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus Christ said, they hated me. Um, they're going to hate you too. Um, in in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Um, we know that both Peter and Paul uh, asked us as individuals to suffer. Suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul told Timothy that. Um, Peter says that we're supposed to to uh, be ready to suffer daily. Being individuals who are going to, we wake up in the morning and say we're going to suffer. Christianity is a tough thing to live if you're going to live it faithfully and you're going to live it right. Timothy had a very clear experience of what this looked like. And of course he was hesitant. Of course it made him timid. Of course it made him fearful. Uh, how many of you in here ever approached anybody that you didn't know to share the gospel with them? Is it easy? It is one of the scariest things that you will ever do in your life. And it's, it's almost worse when you're not just out there doing that, but you're just going about your day and all of a sudden God says, hey, you see that guy over there? Go tell him about me. And yeah, honestly, you're in a spot where you're going, I'm pretty busy right now. I don't, um, I got things going on. I got calendar things I need to check off of. And sometimes it's not even about the gospel. God will say, go over there and pick up that bag of dog food, put it back in the car for that lady. Okay. And we worry about and are fearful of the way that we're going to be treated. And too many times we allow that fear to dictate what it is that we're going to be as believers in Jesus Christ. 
So the Apostle Paul, knowing that Timothy was going to go through this, and I've mentioned to you many times before, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. Um, if, if you had a child, which Timothy was not Paul's child, but he does call him his son, and he does that because he's accepted responsibility for him and training him and teaching him. But if you knew, let's say you were imprisoned like the Apostle Paul was, and you knew there was zero chance of you getting out of that prison alive, you had one letter that you could write. What kind of stuff would you put in it? I would be racking my brain trying to put all of the valuable information about life, the things to look forward to, the way that they should be reacting to. This is where Paul's heart was when he sat down and wrote this, this letter to Timothy. He wanted Timothy to understand and to be able to come out of this on the right track so that Timothy had the ability, once Paul was gone, to continue to be faithful and continue to serve the Lord in the capacity which he was called. Um, who knows what a legacy is? You know, I, uh, I spent a little bit of time yesterday during the funeral service talking about Betty and, and uh, Betty's legacy. And one thing that Betty <clears throat> was just on the top of her priority list was uh, she wanted every kid that she taught to know Jesus. It's a legacy. Um, you hope and pray that, and, and you know that the Holy Spirit has the ability to take those words and just imprint them on children, and it's going to stay with them. Um, it's going to be built on top of. It's going to be the foundation through which a child will not only come to know Jesus, but a child would even be trained up in and strengthened in Christ. That foundation that is an absolute necessity. Uh, the legacies. There's some fear involved with legacy. We do the right thing, but I mean the hope and the prayer is, and I believe it's the same with everybody, is if we've spent our life teaching people, we've spent our life instructing people, the hope is that after I'm gone, the people are going to retain a lot of the stuff that they've been taught that they're not only going to retain it, but they're also going to continue to teach it to other individuals around them. And this was where Paul was with Timothy. He wanted Timothy to be healthy spiritually so that when Paul was gone, and he knew that he would be, uh, he, he says in the last chapter of this book, he's being poured out, poured out as a drink offering. Uh, that was Paul's nice way of saying, I'm not going to make it out of this. Um, wanted to be sure that Timothy was going to be uh, fulfilling the calling that was uh, that he was called into. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something important needs to be pointed out here when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is Paul actually um, writing to Timothy. It's something we all can glean something from. This is Paul actually saying, and, and I'll put it in modern day context, okay? God called me as a preacher. I understand my responsibility as a preacher. I understand that preaching has to be accurate. I understand that doctrine is not what a church says that it is, but doctrine is what the Bible says that it is. Um, I've told many of you people what I feel about church doctrine. Church doctrine too many times finds itself in competition with biblical doctrine, and there is no place for church doctrine where biblical doctrine uh, is is uh, present. Um, for Paul to say that he is an apostle, called as an apostle by God, it was him doing the same thing as me standing up here and saying, I was called as a preacher by God. Now that means that I may stand up here as a human being, and I may speak to you as a human being, but I stand up here under a calling from God, speaking an absolute truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, what I'm writing to you right now is not what Paul would write to you. What I'm writing to you is the result of the calling as an apostle. And that calling wasn't given by men. That calling wasn't given by a priest. That calling wasn't given by a preacher. That calling was given by God. So he speaks in this first verse about the authority through which the things that he will say, those things being under the authority of God, the authority of Christ, not the authority of the Apostle Paul. 
Verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Huge verse. This is a huge verse. There is so much theology chalked into this verse, it's ridiculous. When, he's, when it says, To Timothy, my beloved son, um, it is believed that, that Paul led Timothy to Christ in Lystra. Um, not only did the Apostle Paul lead Timothy to Christ, but the Apostle Paul also laid hands on him, which it will point out in a little bit, laid hands on him um, and prayed over him, which means that the Apostle Paul was involved also with the calling of Timothy, uh, understanding that, that Jesus would have certainly made the calling, but Paul was the human representative through which that calling was manifested in Timothy. So Timothy was Paul's responsibility. And this is something I think that this is something I think that all of us can learn from this. We have to understand that whether it's a preacher or a teacher or it's a church member, we're a family. And when the Lord takes people who are more mature in Christ and places those individuals in the midst of individuals who are younger in Christ, we're not supposed to be a bunch of robots that just do what we do because God told us to. If you ever give me that answer, I will not let you get away with it. Because people all the time will say, well, I'll say, well, why did God say that? Or, or why do we do that? Because God told us to. It's a cop-out. It's a cheap answer. Because God doesn't just give us commands expecting us to carry out those commands blindly. He has a purpose behind everything that he tells us to do. And we should be individuals who are more fo focused on the purpose than we are individuals who are focused on the task. I've been through uh, level one, two, and three leadership training through the Missouri Baptist Convention when we were doing summer missionary supervisors. It was a requirement for you to have this leadership training. It's a fairly young guy. I was working at the association. And, uh, and in one class, there was something that changed the core of my motivation. And it was because I was raised in a, I mean, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. And we do a lot of things at Southern Baptist. There's a lot of ministries. There's a lot of things that we do. Uh, too many times those things become very mechanical. They become just something on the list. But God doesn't want us to do something just because it's something on a list. He wants us to be personally invested in those things. If I'm teaching a teenager... I should look at them more like a son than somebody else's. If I'm teaching somebody who's sitting in the church, I should consider them brothers and sisters. In other words, there's a, there is a level of relationship that increases. I mean, let's be honest. The people that we're closest to in our lives are the ones who are our family. Now, we get to dictate spiritually who our family is. Is it a dangerous place to be? Yeah. It is. You ever been hurt by a family member? Ever been hurt by the passing of a family member? I, in over 30 years of ministry, 32 years of ministry, I can tell you, working bivocational some of those years in the secular world and most of those years being inside the church, the biggest times that I was hurt was inside the church. Inside the church hurt me more. Thank God Highland is in a place now that we are family. We love each other. We forgive each other. Uh, we have the best of intentions towards each other. I've not faced any of these troubles for quite a few years. Um, but it's kind of a, you know, one of, uh, one of our former church members who moved away used to say all the time that, uh, Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. And, uh, the shame in that statement is it's true. It's true. The meanest people I ever met in my life were church people. Uh, and it just, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, we're family. Well, we're going to get upset at each other. Occasionally. Yes. Should we ever be put in a situation where we're not willing to forgive each other? Never. Should we ever be put in a situation where we're looking at individuals and serving for the purpose of producing what God wants produced in their lives? We should be people who are always motivated to serve each other for the good that God is accomplishing in, in uh, individuals' lives. 
This is what Paul did with Timothy. Timothy was not his son. Or was he? Because Timothy, because Paul made Timothy his son in his heart, Paul really cared about where Timothy was headed from that point forward. Timothy was scared. He was, he felt that. He was compassionate towards Timothy's fear. He was compassionate toward Timothy's timidity. He was understanding how the circumstances would put Timothy in that spot. In other words, he was invested in Timothy. The second part of this verse, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Three words, grace, mercy, and peace. Nobody in this church is perfect. Nobody here in this sermon is perfect. Nobody in the world is perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us are in the same boat. We will find circumstances in our lives where our cheese will slide off of its cracker and we will make mistakes. It's going to happen. And the truth is, have you ever done something in life that made you so mad that even 20 years later you're mad at yourself over it? God doesn't want us there. He knows that there are going to be times we're going to be afraid of things. And fear is a lack of what? Fear is a lack of faith, straight up. Fear is a lack of faith. There's reasonability, and people should be reasonable. There are things to fear. Don't not be afraid of traffic. It's not like I have so much faith, I can cross the street without looking both ways. That's not what I'm saying. There is, there is a sense of reasonability to this, okay? But at the same time, things that are out of our control, the way somebody's going to treat us for proclaiming the gospel, the way somebody's going to treat us, because the truth is, when I was going through those difficulties in ministry, I, I would just get to the point, you know what, the only one I can trust is Jesus. I'm just going to close myself up. That's how you keep yourself from getting hurt, right? Keep people at a distance. Can I be a pastor and keep people at a distance? So this is a learning process. And the Lord's telling me, well, okay, you might as well go back to driving a tractor trailer. Because if you aren't willing to open yourself up to be hurt, you also aren't willing to open yourself up to be loved. And if you aren't willing to open yourself up, then you, aren't, you, you certainly aren't willing to express that to other people either. So the fact is, folks, we need grace. God's unmerited favor. Unmerited. That means once we come to know Jesus Christ, and I tell people all the time, and I know that it's somewhat semantics, and people will bow their head and they'll say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins. I got news for you. He already did. Once for all, every mistake you have ever made, every mistake you will make is forgiven if you are truly a son of God. Now, truly being a son of God also means that we are going to do everything we can not to sin, but the flesh is weak. We're going to make mistakes, and we cannot be people who beat ourselves up over it. You ever been taken out behind a tool shed by Jesus? You know what I'm saying there? The uh, good old Jesus leather strap? God will convict our hearts. He's the one who will move us. But he doesn't want us to be individuals who are going to be stuck in a rut because of a mistake we made. He has forgiven us. And, and I'll tell you what, folks, if God has forgiven us and we do not forgive ourselves, what have we done? We've made ourselves bigger than God. Because what authority is greater than the authority of the one who sacrificed himself for us? grace. Timothy needs it. Because apparently he has become timid. He's going to say it here in a little bit. He's become timid. He's afraid to step out. He's afraid to put himself out there. And I got news for you folks. Sin isn't just doing what God told us not to. Sin is also not doing what God told us to. Timothy needs grace. Because if he's going to come out of this, and he does, 
he's going to need to know that God absolutely forgives him. Mercy. Mercy and grace kind of work together a little bit. Mercy, though, has its application in us in such an applicable way as to say we're not vindictive individuals. How does a fight usually stop? It's when someone's declared the winner. Right? When I'm younger, I've said this many times before, when I was younger, newly married, have, have, uh, having an argument with my wife, the way that I looked at it was, if I could send her to the room crying, I win. Thank God I kind of learned more about Jesus and learned that that wasn't... Who's the winner in a fight? There are no winners in a fight. doesn't matter how they end. We get in arguments and disagreements and one person says something mean to the other and the other person has to say something meaner and then it keeps going back and forth, meaner and meaner and meaner and meaner. Mercy? Mercy means we don't desire to hurt somebody. And sometimes that means you got to take your lumps. Learned a long time ago that if you expect the world that doesn't trust in Jesus to treat us like Christians are supposed to treat us, then our expectations are way too high. Because there is no place in the scripture that God tells a lost person how to conduct their lives. That book was written to us, people who have placed our trust in Jesus. And the greatest form of mercy that any one of us have experienced, how many of us were responsible for nailing Jesus to the tree? Jesus had all the right in the world to hold a grudge. And he didn't. Even though I was the one putting the nails in his hands, even though I was the one that was sticking a a staff into his side, even though I was the one who was putting nails in his feet, even though I was the one that was causing his death by asphyxiation, he still said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's mercy. Grace is what God gives us that we don't deserve. Mercy is what God don't give us that we do deserve. Peace. You know, I canceled services tonight. The truth is, I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted. Um, It has been... And I know it's not just just me. It has been a rough five weeks. It has been a rough five weeks. Um, living in this fallen world, dealing with the things that Christians have to deal with from the perspective of a Christian, it has the potential of driving, driving you mad. To, I, I had to put Facebook down. I've opened Facebook to watch videos. I'm not scrolling through feeds. I've had to take a break. Because it's maddening to see the mean, hateful, um, careless, compassionless. It's maddening. Timothy probably feels like there's potential for him to be right next to Paul when he's beheaded. He probably is criticized by many people when he traveled. Respected by some. Criticized by many. You know, when Jesus said, for us to take our yoke, or take his yoke upon us, for his yoke is light, his burden is easy. For a long time, back when I was a fairly young Christian, I never could figure out really. I'm like, this is a guy who came to earth. He gave up his throne, came to earth, born as a baby, raised for the purpose of being sacrificed. 
He knew this. He, he said it all throughout the three and a half years of ministry, all the way up to his cruise. He knew this. How could a man who knew that he was going to be so hated by the religious establishment, who knew that he was going to be crucified by his own people, by the command of his own people, how could this man say that his yoke was light and his burden was easy? And it took me a while to figure this out. Peace does not come through peaceful times. Peace comes from God entrusting that you are doing what God has asked you to do. When I learned this, it was monumental to me. Because that's when I began to understand that I am not responsible for the way that someone responds to the gospel. I am only responsible to share the gospel. I'm not responsible for how someone responds to the truth. I am only responsible to be someone who shares the truth in love. The fact is, and I've said many times before, the death rate in this world is one per person. That's the way it is. This isn't home. Not for a believer. The Bible even goes so far as to call us aliens in a foreign land. Individuals who are either not understood at all or misunderstood in many circumstances. People who draw judgment calls about our character and our integrity and what our motivations are. It's a rough place to live. But Jesus Christ himself continued to say that the only concern that he had on his mind was to fulfill the words of the Father. So for him, it wasn't a matter of doing something I don't want to do or not doing something that I do want to do. For him, it was, I am motivated to serve the Father in whatever capacity he may call me. And as long as I serve the Father in that capacity, what do I have to not be peaceful about? Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He says something interesting in this verse. Look, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. A clear conscience in ministry comes through grace, mercy, and peace. Did you get that? A clear conscience in serving God comes through grace, mercy, and peace. Have I ever wished that I said something that I didn't? Of course. Have I ever wished that I didn't say something that I did? Of course. But the fact is, folks... If we're individuals who desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to say what it is that he wants us to say. And if our brains come up with something extra that we needed to say later, then our brains are probably at fault. To be able to say, even in the midst of my mistakes, even in the midst of my fears, even in the midst of my chaos... I serve my Lord during the day, and I have a clear conscience, is huge. This is partly where the joy and peace, or the joy and expressible um, emotion comes from for a Christian. You show me a Christian who's going nuts, and I'll show you a Christian who's got things out of whack. A Christian who just does is not remembering the things they need to remember. Because there's a promise in the Bible for all of us. And if we have the capacity to trust God, which is exactly what this, this chapter is about, Paul's trying to teach Timothy to guard the trust that he has in God. Don't let any circumstance or any thought or any act don't let those things sidetrack you. Because regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we do, 
regardless of what we say, regardless of what we hear, regardless of how we feel, God is God, and he is steady. The Bible refers to him as an anchor for the soul. He has the capacity. He said in the second part of verse 3, he said, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Do you see the responsibility Paul has accepted in the transition of the teaching? My forefathers taught me how to serve. Now I am teaching you how to serve. How many of us in this place right now are teachers? Got news for you. All of us are. You may not be someone who sits in a Sunday school class and teaches a kid. You may not be someone who would accept that title necessary or the responsibility that comes along with it. But I guarantee you this, you're being watched by somebody. And whether through the words we speak or the way we act, we are teaching the people, especially those who are coming up behind us. And I have concern. I mean, it's you can call it faithless. You can call it whatever you want. I have concerns about the church of the future. Because it's become so much of a popularity contest. People go to church for what they get. And that's as backwards as it can get. I'll go to church if I enjoy the preacher. I'll go, and I get it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some preachers that are just melancholy. They're hard to listen to. They'll put you to sleep in a, in, in a heartbeat. They, you know, the accuracy is very important. I get that. You want to find a, a preacher who is preaching the word accurately. But, I mean, there are individuals. That preacher didn't shake my hand this morning. I'll go to another church. I didn't like the color of the carpet. I didn't like the color of the drapes. I didn't like the music they sang. I didn't like how light or dim the room was. What are we here for? Because if we're here for anything less than showing gratitude for what God has done for us, then we're here for the wrong reason. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. Not because of what the church may put on the floor or whether they're singing contemporary or traditional hymns, whether they have a jumbotron or not. We should be individuals who have the ability to go to church just to praise God for what it is that he's already done. It's supposed to be a place of instruction. I hope that people come here and learn something. And I hope they don't just learn it and keep it in here. I hope it drops about 18 inches to here, and when they leave the building that they go out and live it. What's going to happen to that church? In the midst of churches chasing money. Fact is, folks, it costs money to keep the lights on. It costs money to pay my salary. It costs money to pay the insurance for the building. It costs money to do ministries. Those things are a fact. Churches need money. There are an awful lot of churches out there that that's all they're about, some money. Churches out there that are looking for the prestige. I remember when I was first called to this church and I drove up the hill and I was like, oh no. Lord got me pretty quick too. I'm not supposed to judge a book by a cover. No more than you're supposed to judge a building by its appearance. Should we take care of it? Absolutely. We've got some work that needs to be done we're going to end up doing, hopefully before winter. It's not about prestige. It's not about power. There are churches out there that the priests or the ministers, they desire nothing more than to control the people who are in the building. Power. I desire to see nothing more than to see Christ be the one that's in control of you. That's where we become one mind. That's where we have one purpose. That's where we have one calling. Is when all of us are following the same Savior.
Churches have begun to pull away from the truth. They're publishing translations of the Bible that go completely contrary to the original text. All for the sake of someone's peace in sin. Know this. You have more power in the influence of those who are young than you could ever imagine. And the world, it is pumping out kids. I don't know if you have had any conversations with any people in high school or any of these college students. It is, it's a struggle. I don't know if you pay attention. I'll love on kids as much as I can. As much as I can. They run up and hug me. It makes me bubble. On a very practical side, it just feels good to be hugged by a kid. You get hugged by a kid, that's like there's nothing on the planet like it. But as a pastor, I look at every one of those kids. If I can build a relationship with them, they will always have an attachment to me. And I hope that when they get five, ten years older, and they start to experience the real struggles and difficulties in this world, that that relationship will pay off because they'll come into my office and they'll talk to me without being uncomfortable, without them being forced to. And we should be people who are willing to build those relationships the exact same way because, folks, I, I promise you, habits are not taught, they're caught. If we're individuals who are being the example to the people who are coming up behind us, and none of us are perfect examples. I tell people all the time, the perfect Christian is not a perfect person. The perfect Christian is a repentant person. All these young people coming up behind us, they need to know we're people who make mistakes. I had a seminary course where they, where they literally said, don't tell anybody from the pulpit that you are someone who makes mistakes. My, my jaw dropped. I'm like, so you're telling every pastor in the country that they should be individuals who stand up and pretend like they're perfect? I think it's beneficial for you to know I'm not perfect. I think that it's huge for you to be able to know that I'm an individual who makes mistakes and I'm just responsible as anyone else to be repentant. And kids need to know we make mistakes. And we serve a God who has already forgiven us, and we need to learn how to be people who turn away from those things. And they need to see us do it. New believers need to see us do it. That's the accuracy of the doctrine. Verse 4 says, Longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Nobody knows exactly why he said, as, as I remember your, recall your tears. But you can imagine there's several reasons. I have people come to me once in a while and they'll say, I'm, 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 I'm afraid that I may not be saved. And I'm like, well, then you got nothing to worry about. And they're like, what? I said, I have never heard a lost person come to me and say that they're afraid they may not be saved. The only people who are worried about their salvation are people who are saved. It's just the way that works. When I watch a person in life struggle, and I see the evidence of the faith that they have in Christ, even though on the surface there may be tears, and even though on the surface there may be hardships, my heart is encouraged. Because I see the active, living Word of God manifesting itself in an individual. Paul's saying, even as I recall your tears, you make my joy full. Because Timothy's struggling with this, the Apostle Paul was encouraged 
Because if Timothy did not take his calling as a reality, there would be no struggle. He'd just quit. Verse 5, we'll go through, we'll go 5 through 7 and, and I'll close this. It says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Who knows what the word, the name Timothy means? The name Timothy means one who honors God. When Timothy was born, his mother and his grandmother named him. And I'm here to tell you that most people who are non-believers don't name their kids one who honors God. He says in 6, And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I understand, folks, and, and anybody who says they don't understand this has no idea. We're human, and we live on a roller coaster emotionally, financially, substantially. We're on a roller coaster. I've found those points in time in my life where I didn't want to preach. Now, for me, it was a warning. It's a huge warning sign. God calls me as a pastor. One of my responsibilities is to preach. I love to preach. So if I ever get into a spot where I'm saying, you know what, I don't really want to study today. I really don't feel like preaching today. If I ever find myself in that spot, there should be red flags, sirens, and lights going off in my brain like crazy. It shouldn't be, I just don't want to do this. It should be, what is going on with my relationship with Jesus? Because I can tell you, in my experience and all of years of ministry, every time that I have a problem with my faith, I'm the reason. God doesn't create these scenarios for people. He allows us to live through some of those scenarios but you've heard me say before, every time I have a problem, I noticed one consistency. I was there. Kindle afresh the gift of God means once in a while we do. We need to get alone somewhere, be still, and know that he's God. We need to find out what went wrong in our life to make our brains shift this track, and then we've got to attack it 110% with the word of God. We have to be mindful as individuals to know that God is the supreme authority. The word he has given us is the supreme authority. And if we're individuals who are going to read his word, we're going to trust in his word. This is really what repentance is. It's not about us just walking away from whatever it is in a mistake that we've made. It's about learning our lessons from those mistakes. I've met people who've said, well, I've, I don't know if I'll go to church. I haven't been to church in 10 years. I don't know if I can go back. Well, not with that attitude. Fact is, there's nobody going to look down on anybody if they haven't been to church in 10 years. We want people to come to church. We want people to join the family. We want people to become a part of what it is that God's accomplishing as a result of being here. Kindle afresh. We prefer to use the word revival. And once in a while, we need to be revived. That only happens through this relationship. And it's always brought in question by the struggle. Verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, the Apostle Paul preaches a lot about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, the conflict between the human being and the human fallen nature and the nature that God has put before us. 
The truth is we choose we choose where we're going to live. And I don't mean in a location. I mean where we're going to live as far as what our attitude is on a day-to-day basis. We get to choose whether we're going to say something mean or say something nice. We get to choose. Now, the human side has the capacity to hurt and hurt bad. The spirit that God has given us, which he says here, that it's a spirit of power and love and discipline. The word power, anybody in here haven't said it in a while, what's the Greek word for power? Dunamis. I love the word. I like to say it. It's where we get the human word dynamite. God has given us a spirit of power. If we're individuals who ever draw the conclusion that God, the creator of the universe, who spoke all things into existence, who created man from dirt and woman from a rib, the God who put the balance of the universe and all of the galaxies combined in place through a personal relationship with him has said, you hold the key to heaven and Hades in your hand. You have the capacity to snatch some from the fire. You have the capacity to be not natural, but supernatural. This day and age, we don't see a whole lot of power being reflected in the church. Because too many times in that battle that's warring in people's members, the flesh wins. Love. He gives us a spirit of love. We have the ability to love the unlovable. Marriage counseling. I don't know how many times I've marriage counseled people and I tell them love is not an emotion, it's an action. Several of them thought that I was crazy. Most of them come back and apologize later and said they got it. But you go out in the world and you see people who are ending relationships all the time because they say, I just don't love them anymore. It's not because an individual has removed themselves from the emotion. It's because an individual stopped putting forth effort to build the relationship. I can tell you I love you. Talk's cheap. Or I can show you I love you. And that's a choice. Discipline. It's hard to be disciplined. We have the ability to create things in our lives that are habitual. And as Christians, if we do drown ourselves in God's word, if we are individuals who are willing to sit under instruction and look up the Bible and check it against what, what uh, somebody's telling you, if, we're, if we have the ability to be able to read the word of God and trust in it fully, then we become habitual in things that are positive. I remember at some point in ministry, um, I wasn't very good at really checking on people. And it wasn't because I didn't care about people. It was just because you didn't think about it. Well, after a while, I started noticing when individuals were missing from church, and I sent a text message out. We missed you today. Hope everything's going all right. If you need anything, give me a call. Short, sweet. You know what happened automatically when I started doing that every week? It was amazing. It was almost like it was a spot in my calendar that was already marked out. Doing things that are right. Practicing doing things that are right. Making those things habitual. When uh, when I was a teenager, I could make a sailor blush. Me and my brothers were all like that. We just cussed like crazy. After I gave my life to Jesus, I'd say a cuss word and then feel bad about it. After some time had passed, because it was constantly working on me. I'd stop saying the cuss word, but I'd think it. Still feel bad? 
took a while, but discipline to keep at it. I can smash my thumb with a hammer now and not say a cuss word. Not even think a cuss word. You might get a colorful ouch. Or Jesus help me. Paul thought so much of Timothy that he wanted to be sure that Timothy had everything that he needed before Paul exited. I want the same thing for everybody who hears this message. For us to know, matter of fact, you go just a little bit farther down, a few verses. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That song's in that book, in that chapter. When our relationship's right with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus has the potential to change lives and to change people's worlds. And he wants us to be world changers. If you're here today and you've never professed Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you've never followed through in believer's baptism, um, you can either come up here during the invitation time or talk to me after church. Uh, my phone number's out there everywhere. i got some cards up here if you'd like to take one. It's got my phone number and email on it. If you ever want to talk to me about wanting to uh, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can't save you, but I'll spend whatever time is necessary uh, for you to have the opportunity to know the one who can. If you're here today and you're a believer, I want you to be encouraged. I know there's an awful lot of discouragement in this world, and I know that there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and there's a lot of potential for things to move us around. Anchor yourself to Christ. Don't put so much pressure on yourself that it drives you crazy. Just trust him. Study his word. Attend his church. Grow in his grace and his mercy. And grow at your pace. Because if we're going to change our world, it's going to take all of us doing it corporately. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.